and had spared no effort to make it one of the city's premier opera houses. The governors of San Remo had negotiated my new position with theatrical agents scouting the Neapolitan schools for fresh singers to thrill the jaded Venetian audiences. Since I was obligated to repay San Remo for my years of training, I had little say in the matter, but nevertheless the prospect of returning home had tantalized me in a way I couldn't ignore. When the maestros had given us their parting blessings, I had been fresh from a triumph in a student production and overflowing with the confidence that only sheer, untried youth can inspire. Now, as the golden towers and domes of Venice rose like a magic island on the horizon, I wondered what I could have been thinking. Venetian audiences had enjoyed the world's greatest singers, Farinelli, Caffarelli, Senesino, and Venetians weren't shy about demonstrating their disapproval if a singer failed to please. We had all heard tales of rotten fruit and tomatoes used as missiles, of shouting so loud a performer couldn't hope to make himself heard above it. A Venetian mob had once even swarmed over the orchestra, grabbed a foundering castrato, and thrown the unfortunate fellow in the stinking canal. My stomach began rumbling, and my chest tightened as I wondered why I hadn't begged the maestros to let me stay in Naples to teach the younger boys, compose music, anything. Then I caught sight of Felice's tight expression and felt a pang of guilt. My worries paled in comparison to my friend's predicament. Felice Ravello had come home with me on the slender hope of finding work as a chapel singer in one of Venice's many churches. Already past twenty, Felice had overstayed his training more than most. When I was exiled to San Remo, my friend had been a rosy-cheeked, cheerful scarecrow whose wrists and elbows were always poking out of his sleeves. He delighted in eluding the composition maestro and hiding in the back of the theater to hear the senior students rehearsing for upcoming productions. Felice would cheerfully take a beating if it meant he could lose himself in their ravishing voices for even a few minutes. Singing was Felice's overriding passion. While the rest of us watched the hourglass, waiting for the signal they would let us run and play ball in the courtyard, Felice begged for extra instruction. No exercise was too tedious or time-consuming if my friend thought it would help him perfect his already remarkable soprano. It was in our eighth year at the Conservatorio that disaster struck. One morning, in the middle of a cadenza, he could sing as easily as walking across the floor. Felice's golden throat failed him. His voice cracked and kept cracking. Despite enforced rest, therapeutic exercises, and foul-smelling herbal concoctions painted on his tonsils by the school physician, Felice's vocal apparatus relentlessly coarsened and thickened. Sometimes it happened that way. The cutting we had both endured carried no guarantee. I had watched helplessly as my friend's laughter faded, and he spent more and more time in our third-floor sleeping room staring out the window or curled up under the bed covers. The maestros shook their heads discouragingly. To his horror, Felice was advised to take up the harpsichord or the violin. He practiced those instruments under duress, but I knew that he had never stopped cosseting his rebellious throat or burning candles at the shrine of St. Cecilia, praying for a miracle.
At the ship's rail, Felice nudged my arm and pointed to the island over the water. Tito, this city is amazing. It glitters like the bishop's Easter headdress. What's that tower, that enormous one? I shaded my eyes with a flat hand. Still scarcely believing that I was nearing home, I answered in the bald tones of a traveler's guidebook. It's the Campanile, the bell tower on the Piazza San Marco. The reflection off its gilded roof is visible for miles. The sailors use it to lead them to port. And those columns by the water's edge. Platforms for Venice's patron saints. On the left is Saint Theodore with his crocodile. On the right, the golden lion of Saint Mark. I'm afraid I'll need the intervention of both if I'm to find work, he whispered, bowing his head slightly. Not losing hope, are you?